the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amorous. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the God Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Verse 4, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Father, we thank you, God, for your word, ever enlightening, ever encouraging, ever insightful Father God, ever liberating, giving us revelation on what life is all about, what heaven is all about, what the future is all about, Father God. And the future is extremely bright for those who trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, God. We know that there's a place where it's coming for us, oh God, where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no tears, there is no fear, there is no darkness, there is no hunger, there is no need at all, God. And God, we will never have to live by faith again, for we shall see your face as you are. God, that is our greatest desire and ambition, Father. We ask you to breathe upon the text, breathe upon this first teaching, God, and next week, Father God, we ask, open up our eyes that we can be encouraged by what the Apostle John says in Jesus' name. Amen Amen and amen. A little lengthy reading, Uh, if you notice, I'm speaking on heaven, but the title is what? Do you know why? The new earth is heaven. You probably not, you don't know that. I know you're Christians, but a lot of people might not realize that. And we'll get into the text over the next two weeks to find out what heaven is. But of course, like we always do, we want to find out what it's... The pastor's wife said? No. The pastor's wife is right. We need to know what it's not because in this room today is more represented what it's not than what it is. What a congregation. What a congregation. I'm going to ask everybody to evaluate as we go through the study today your own personal thoughts about heaven and how it weighs up against the scriptures over today and next week and to see where you find yourself. Are your thoughts God's thoughts? Is heaven God's heaven or is it your own imagination? We're going to find this out. Because my own imagination lets me down constantly. I don't know about yours. I need God's revelation, not my imagination. 
I need to know what God is speaking about when it comes to heaven and its characteristics. Today I'll be speaking about heaven, what it's not, heaven, what it is. Next week I'll speak about the unique characteristics uh, that are found in what we just read in chapter 21 and chapter 22. We'll go through that and we'll get a better understanding of the characteristics, this high symbolism, and what it really points to for us as Christians. What does it mean? How can I draw any kind of strength from this extreme uh, uh, symbolism. It means something, but it, I can't capture it. But I know it's joyful. I know it is. So we'll be speaking about the unique characteristics next week. <clears throat> when we speak about heaven and the new earth, uh, you have to tie it up with Revelation, what we just read, chapter 21, cha- chapter 22 to verse 5, and their biblical relationship. I just can't speak about heaven, excuse me, <clears throat> without speaking about what the whole Bible says. I can't. You can't speak about what I just read and not speak about the whole plan of redemption. It's impossible. You won't understand chapter 21 and chapter 22 unless I break it down into what the whole 66 books of the Bible says. As we begin to explore the reality of heaven and our eternal rest, we have to see how this chapter and chapter 22 winds up with the rest of the word of God. I'll do it quickly. Heaven is man's greatest aspiration to a certain extent. And what I mean by a certain extent, man's desire is to live a quality, long life, isn't it? Who doesn't want that? Aren't we trying to perfect something about a better life for ourselves every day? Aren't we looking for a better tomorrow? Isn't that our quest to be happy? But the the, the poor point about it, we as human beings have a built-in craving for more of God... But sin has perverted it. This longing to, has pointed us in all the wrong directions of self-fulfillment. We want more of life, but we go about it the wrong way. All of us. A lot of us here know we've been down wrong directions in our life. And we know it's empty. We try to do it the godless way. But God himself is still man's greatest need. But unfortunately, he's not man's greatest desire. He's not. We want things good in this world. And we want it our way. The gospel message found in the historical time frame of the Bible, that means from Genesis to Revelation, that's the gospel message. The gospel is not just uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, that's not it. That's an historical understanding of the Christ. The message of Christ is the whole Bible. And everything in those 66 books. And in this time frame, this historical, biblical time frame, God is restoring to himself, listen, he's restoring to himself and fulfilling our greatest longing and his original design, that's heaven. What began in Genesis as a happiest state, remember Genesis chapter 1 and 2? What did God create? And what did he make on earth? He made something. And he planted, remember? It's a garden. And who did he put in the garden? Guess who we find in Revelation 21 and 22? We find the garden. It's a new garden and a new heaven and a new earth. What began as a happy estate in Genesis, God, man, fellowship, unity on earth, in God's garden temple where man worked happily as he simultaneously worshipped God and loved one another, but fell into sin and destruction is now restored in the book of Revelation. 
Are you with me? Everything in the 66 books of the Bible is a restoration begun. In chapter 3, God started to restore what Adam gave to Satan. And that was his whole plan through every book. If you just take that one principle that's called the hermeneutical key, if you would just take that and read that one thought, that's the whole plan over 4,000 years of biblical history. 2,000 years of biblical history. Right there. All 66 books of the Bible. It's just passing the baton from one book to the other to the other, until we finally get to the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, and guess what? What began in the garden, ends in the garden. What began with God and man, ends with God and the redeemed. What began with the tree of life, ends with the tree of life. Are you with me? Need I say any more? It's important to understand this because we need to understand what it's not. Because what it's not is a. Uh, actually, let me just. I went on Google. I like Google. <laughs> I don't like the reception I get in the Salvation Army as I'm loading bestsellers about heaven. Okay? Numerous. I can't tell you book after book, bestseller, Times bestselling list about heaven. Book, some of these are Christians. Not all of them are really good. Matter of fact, few of them are good at all. Except one. Randy Alcorn is the only one I'd advise, which I've read. It's good. The other these things are just all over the map. I won't ask for a raise in hand, but how many people in this room have read something about heaven or the afterlife? Okay? Let me go into the afterlife. I Google this. Bestsellers on afterlife. We have the death. An afterlife book. It's an encyclopedia of death and near death and life after death experiences. An encyclopedia. The world needs this. If you read the Bible, you wouldn't need an encyclopedia on near death experiences. Who survives contemporary explorations of life and death? Death, a personal survival kit. Exploring the great beyond. How different religions view death in the afterlife. The near-death experience, a reader. Reincarnation, this is the one. A new horizon in science, religion, and society. Children who remember previous lives, a question of reincarnation. The immortal remains, evidence for a life after death. And so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. So when we start to speak about heaven, understand something that's on everybody's mind. It's there. That's why people are buying these books. They want an answer. Because there's a longing inside of human soul that desires more than this life has what? Given. This life as we know it does not fulfill. So man tries to do anything. And they buy these books. Because, and the reason when they read it, there's some kind of like joy because it's trying to answer an unanswerable question, and I'll say it again. Those books are trying to answer an unanswerable question. Do you want to know why? I'll let you know later on in the sermon. All right? That's under a different head. That was a joke. You did not laugh. Okay. So don't get up and walk out. So whatever we think about heaven, if it's not biblically informed, will be wrong. Can you say amen? Amen. 
whatever we believe about heaven, if it's not biblically informed by revelation of divine revelation from the Holy Spirit, will be wrong. We will not stumble upon the right conclusions of heaven. You can't investigate life and death near experiences and come up with an understanding of heaven. You cannot do it. The world we live in is heaven hungry. Heaven hungry. All sorts of belief in heaven abound. From the polygamous fantasies of the Mormons, the fulfillment of sensual pleasures by Islam, uh, the, the annihilation of self in the Buddhist nirvana, to the New Age's hope of God-likeness. Am I right or wrong? I know many of my friends, they're into this kind of stuff. They're all over the map. Even to our own narrow hopes and dreams of just seeing our personal loved ones. As sort of like the great, you know, uh, picnic in the sky sort of thing. We've got to be careful of all of it. We've got to be careful of trying to make mankind's greatest hope what we want it to be. It has to be what God says it is. Am I right? Yeah. Otherwise we'll be greatly disappointed in this world. Greatly. Heaven or, or, or paradise or the afterlife is, is never more than something personal to, in, in, in those equations. It, it's sinful. It's self-contamination of the real thing. So to speak, we need to rescue God's heaven from this world. I want to rescue. My, my mission today is I prepared this sermon was to rescue the, the perversion of God's real new earth from our imaginations and what we want it to be. It needs to be rescued from that. It, it won't bring you any hope. It won't bring you any joy at all. Unless it's God's word. We need to rescue it. God's true heaven from whimsical notions of unconverted minds. Or even from uninformed true believers. But what is heaven? Heaven's a revelation. When John says, I saw, that's, that equation, that formula, uh, I saw, is over 40 times in the book of Revelation, in 22 chapters. It's not even the last, it's in the first 21 chapters. Over 40 times, I saw. Because God opened up his eyes. And if God doesn't open up your eyes, you don't. So what is it? It's Revelation. When the angel says, look, and I saw, what he's saying, you are seeing something that you could not see unless I show it to you. Heaven is a revelation by the scriptures, by the Holy Spirit, and that is it. Everything else is of the imagination and of Satan. Unless it comes from the Spirit of God, unless you can say, I saw, because the Bible says it's not of God, no matter how much we want it to be. Period. I don't care how warm and fuzzy it makes you feel. I don't care how many books it sells. I don't care if your mother likes it, your grandmother likes it, your brother likes it, your neighbor likes it, and they're all swearing by it. I'm telling you now, it's not of God. Because the apostle himself had to be invited to come up to heaven and see. But yet people are saying, I had a dream, I had a vision. I had a, a, a near-death experience and everybody's flocking to the book and it makes people feel good, so it must be what? It's not true. Satan comes as what? 
An angel of light. Misleading people. No, we need this. We need to rescue the truth from these whimsical, satanic notions of what heaven really is. It's a revelation, something revealed by God that otherwise cannot be known. We can believe it exists, but that is about it. Anything after that is a perversion of the truth. The revelation of it is meant to give life. And this is for today's, I want to drill this home today. This is today's message. The revelation that we just read, and I'll get into the particulars next week. But the revelation of it is meant to give life and hope to God's people now. That's what it's for. Just as it is here in the book of Revelation, it's held out. This chapter 21 and chapter 2 is the end of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is written to these worn out, tired, persecuted Christians that have been attacked by Satan. They're attacked by Rome. They're attacked by Caesar. They're attacked by false prophets. They're attacked by immorality. They're attacked by fear. They're attacked by unbelief. They're attacked by denying Christ. They're attacked in every way. And God's holding out to them saying, overcome, this is waiting for you. Even on to death. This is your hope. Hang on. Christ wins. It's held out to overcome all the world and Satan has to throw at them. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the prideful possessions of life. It was hope of the future with God that always helped God's people throughout all biblical history. As they pilgrims through this world. Listen to the writer of Hebrews on this very issue I'm telling you right now. It's meant to give hope. It's meant to give life in dark, tired times. Anybody living in a dark, tired time? Listen. Listen to the writer of Hebrews, starting in the 11th chapter, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place where he did was to receive as an inheritance, he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, as with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable, innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not receiving the things promised, but having seen them, listen, and greeted them from afar. That's faith. You ready? And have acknowledged that there were strangers and exiles on this world that's per- persecuting them, that they're tired and they're fed up sometimes for people who speak such, make it clear they're seeking a different homeland. For if they had been thinking about the land from which they had gone out, they would have ample opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. What kind? Heavenly. Heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. The new Jerusalem. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, David, the prophets all saw something greater that this world could never give. 
They long for a city, a heavenly one, without foundations, who the builder and founder is God. They were seeking something greater. They made it a testimony as they lived in this world. They were saying, I don't live like the rest of the world. I don't think like the rest of the world. I don't worship like the rest of the world. I don't want to be like the rest of the world. I want God. And they made it clear to everybody by the way they lived. This has been the testimony of all true believers over the centuries. They're seeking something Better than this world could ever give. And let me bold enough to say this. Better even than what God can give. It's a nice theological bomb. In this world, that is. Even God can't give his best in this world. Because it's still sinful. Still cursed. God has something better for all of us. Amen. Amen. He has heaven. Not a better life in this sinful world, but a far greater existence that life in this sinful world can never give. Not even with God. Because God's not just about forgiving the sins and giving us the Holy Spirit and giving us joy. Even though Paul says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He also says that through many tribulations we enter into the kingdom of God. This is the already dimensions of the already not yet existence we live in. Listen to how Paul says it somewhere else. He says that the flesh and the spirit, what? They war with one another. Is not the life of God intended? It's not the life that God intended. Heaven on earth is what God intended from the very start. That's why Christian ministries need to be careful when preaching. If you come in here week after week and all I make it sound like everything is going to be good and rosy, I'm deceiving you. Everything's not good and rosy. We live in a sinful world. We still fight the flesh and the spirit. Still fight. I can't tell you everything's going to be great tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow brings. But I'll tell you right now, if you're a Christian, eternity is awesome. That I know. But I don't know what tomorrow brings for you. I have no idea. I might not be here next week. I might not. Again, it happened to me. I walked into the gym on Saturday. And someone said, did you hear I said, I hear what? Bo died. Bo, who I saw on Thursday, died Friday. I found out Saturday, just driving his motorcycle. We don't know. How can you have the best of life when you don't even know what tomorrow brings? Are you with me? Do you want me to lie to you? Do you want me to tell you how wonderful and safe it's all going to be? Do you not read the same newspapers I read? Do you not watch the same news channel I watch? Should I possibly make a promise to you that even God says he won't do? I can't do it. And any Christian ministry that does it is deceiving human beings. Listen to Romans 8, 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, we groan inwardly. As we eagerly wait the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's still more ahead. This is our hope. We've got to be like Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob. 
we, may, we need to make it known to ourselves and to the world that we're seeking something that this world can never give. Never. We're seeking heaven. Heaven is our goal. Heaven in Scripture is held out as a sure hope right now for believers. So as to help us in our struggle in this world we live in. And even the personal, internal failures we have. It's not just the latest terror threat that's coming from the Middle East. It's also the ongoing battle with sin in our own personal lives that encourage us. Heaven encourages us that one day it's going to finally be end. The power of sin will be eradicated. The presence of sin will be eradicated. The curse of sin totally gone. It's all gone. That's, that's what we're crying out for, isn't it? To think I would have to live to be a thousand years old in a sinful body on a sinful earth is not a blessing. That's a curse. That's a curse. And true believers understand that. So what is it? Heaven, it's a place. A real, literal place. It's the new earth. Heaven is not some ethereal And this is what I really want to pick up and and challenge people on what they think about heaven. I don't know if you're thinking much about it. But heaven is not some ethereal, abstract concept that's hard for believers to comprehend. So that we have to devise all sorts of imaginations of it. uh, and And with that, heaven turns out to be a lot less than what it really is. And somehow when we start to bring our own imaginations into heaven, and think about it. Think about now what you really thought heaven's about. Tell me, what's the center of that? Is it your own personal desires and own personal hopes? Or is it God and the Lamb the center of it? Because that's what Revelation holds out. Who is in the center of the new city? Who's in the center of the new earth? Who's in the center of the new Jerusalem? Who's in the center of the new heaven? God and the And they're both on the throne. That's it. Heaven is ultimately the new earth. It's not some concept. We're going to be floating around in disembodied spirits. You know, Terry, is that you? I don't know. I can't see, Brian. Is that John? Is that you? Who is that over there? Turn it. When God created the garden back in Genesis, he called it good. When he created the earth, he called it good. When he put, created man and put him in there, he called it what? Very he called it very good. Understand something. The new heaven is the perfection of the very good. That which sin ruined, sin ruined the very good. Sin ruined the good. Jesus Christ puts the perfection back into the very good. Understand something. We are not going to be roaming around on clouds. We will be on a new earth. I'll speak more about it next week. Where all our senses and all our faculties will be liberated from sin. And we will worship God perfectly. Our speech, our sight, our taste, our sound, our touch will never be disappointed. And we will never disappoint. Ever. That's part of it. In perfect unity with God, we'll see His face. We won't live by faith. 
He won't be a trillion miles away on another planet. We will see him face to face. That's the Bible's way of saying God will always be with us and nothing shall ever separate us from the joyful, happy, safe, confident presence of God. You tell, sell me something better. Give me one of those life at the death experiences. Sell me something better. Give me one of those false books on heaven. Tell me it's better than what John the Apostle is telling me right now. Not at all. Don't even come close. Satanic, whimsical imaginations is all it is. We'll be speaking more on this next week. But some application. So why is heaven really not on our minds? Why? Jesus spoke about it. The apostles spoke about it. The prophets of the Old Testament spoke about it. It's the biggest hope in the Bible. The hope of glory Christ in us. Why? What's preventing it? Do we need severe persecution to stimulate this kind of thinking in our spirits? Or, I ask this, are the ordinary disappointments we experience daily in our lives enough? Is that enough to trigger our thoughts towards heaven? It should be. If not, that means you're probably about 15, all right? Do we think we're going to live the perfect high wave? That high wave the rest of our life? You think we're going to make it? You think every day is just going to be smooth, smooth sailing, straightforward, without stumbling, without faults? Is that what life is? Is that reality? Isn't it the older we get, the more we realize that life is full of pain? and fears and hunger of many types the Bible says that there will be no more hunger there and sometimes for Americans uh, you know we, that, that, that goes over our head because the truth of the matter is nobody in here really understands what hunger is I doubt there's a person in here really ever hungered I'm not talking about missing a meal we miss a meal and we get a oh I'm starving we, have, we don't have a clue what it is to be dying of thirst and hunger and not knowing if you ever the, the realization you're not going to have a meal 2,000 years ago that's what it was we have no idea but there's a lot of different hungers there's emotional hunger there's hunger for fellowship and unity there's, there's hunger for people to just say recognize me, I'm a human being would somebody care for me and don't most if not and don't most of these, if not all of these, come from our personal hopes and dreams of not panning out? Just think about the pains. Have his life turned out the way you wanted it to be? Are your kids everything you wanted them to be? Your families? Am I making my point? Yes. We long for something better. 
we long for something. If, if I put all my hope into all my loved ones getting saved so that I'm not disappointed, I, I, I'll be a miserable failure. Our hope has to be in something greater. It's called the new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where God and his Lamb are the center of it. They get all our attention. They get all our praise. Even the kings of the earth will bring the glory of all the nations into the kingdom of God. That is what you and I and the rest of humanity need. And to think of God's awesomeness, that even in the last book of Revelation, God holds out salvation to the worst of the worst. That even on the last breath, God is offering sinners mercy and forgiveness. How awesome is God? God doesn't want anybody to miss the new heaven and the new earth. Because what we need and what we long for will never be fulfilled in this world. Let's close our eyes. Would your eyes close if you feel God spoke to you today and you really desire something more? You desire that forgiveness. You desire something only God can give. If, if you want your sins forgiven and you want to be welcomed, you want your name right now written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you want that, just raise your hand. If you really do want that. Then I ask you, all the hands raised, just, just pray this prayer with me. Will you, with your eyes closed, pray it like you mean to God. You're praying to God. Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. It's you I need. You're my greatest fulfillment. I repent of all my sins. And I ask that your son, Jesus Christ, would be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. If you really meant that in your heart, that's between you and God, but something's going to happen in you. Something real is going to happen. Speak to me. Speak to Pastor John. Speak to one of the girls. Speak to somebody that you made a commitment to Christ today. Please don't leave this building without mentioning to me that, Brian, I made a personal commitment to Christ today. And we'll speak to you more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you that you're always encouraging us, Father God. We thank you, God, that there's something held out, even for the most mature believer, to sink their teeth into And that's a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness reigns, Father. And we'll see you face to face. Father God, I thank you for such a great hope that pulled Abraham through this world, Isaac through this world, Jacob through this world, and all the Old Testament saints. Even your son looked forward to the day when he would drink the the, the fruit of the vine afresh in the kingdom of God. I thank you, Father God, that we are just part of a long line of believers who long for something greater, a city whose builder and founder is God himself. In Jesus' name.